Our second message today is a sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele entitled, Who Are You? Good afternoon, everyone. Who are you? Do I know you? Hi. My name is, and then your name is, and we, we introduce one another to one another. First time with me. Isn't it interesting that, you know, when you're, um, maybe for a, a person like me, an introvert, forced to meet somebody new. So we, we ask ourselves, we ask each other a series of questions. What do you do? Uh, do you work? What do, where do you work? What kind of work are you in? What, bring, what brought you here today? Maybe uh, somebody new came into church. What brought you here today? We're fundamentally asking a single question. Who are you? We want to know who that person is. To make a relationship to find out if there's something that they need that we can help with. Lots of positive reasons. And maybe for some of us introverts. All right, who are you? Do I need to be worried about you? But we want to know who somebody is. And then we start to learn about them. And then we learn their name. And then we learn about their character. And their foibles and, and the things that they like and dislike. And then we kind of take their name. And when we share with one another, oh, I was talking to Matt the other day. Oh, which Matt? Well, the good looking one, the Matt Steele. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Oh, okay. And immediately somebody knows who the Matt is and, and what he's about and what he does and what he doesn't do. Who are you? And so we learn about one another, and we learn about who the individual is, and we know them by their name. And so if you think about it, everybody in here at some point has asked those questions and asked the question of each other. Because there was a time when we did not know one another. Unless maybe we're, we just grew up as, as kids and we never had that conversation because we've just always been around the people here. But we've, we've asked one another these questions. Who are you? What are you about? And maybe another important part of it is, what do you stand for? What are you really about? What do you stand for? And this question, these questions are familiar to us from the scriptures. Lots of times individuals in the word of God, in the stories that we have from the scriptures, are asking, who are you of one another? One of these occasions we actually find in Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to start in verse, verse 1. It's a very familiar story. And we're going to go through the story of this person, and we're going to ask of this person, this question, 
who are you? It says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he, said, and he answered him and said, Here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. <clears throat> now therefore, please take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me a savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So we're familiar with this story, aren't we? We know about the characters of this story. We know who they are. But I think it's still worth asking the question. Who are they? So, at his mother's urging, it would seem, Jacob is going to live up to maybe what we've all heard his name means, right? Who he is. It's the definition of who Jacob is. Couldn't have been named better, right? Well, it's kind of an interesting name, Jacob. If you use a Hebrew concordance, you will find something uh, maybe a little unusual about the root word for his name. Because typically in the concordance you will have the Hebrew, the, the English version of that, and then a list of, of translations, a list of words of how it's been used. And maybe with the number of times that word has been used. But with the root word for Jacob, it's actually a list of the same word. And I'm going to say it's Jacob. It's A-Q-E-B. And it's a list of about four or five exact same words. And I'm looking at the Hebrew, and it looks like the exact same words. But they have different meanings. And it's really interesting. Some of the meaning of Jacob and the root of Jacob is footprint or footsteps. Heel, rear guard, or hind part. Maybe Esau thought his brother was a bit of a butt, so that might be uh, appropriate. It can also mean overreacher. Maybe <laughs> extending himself out a little too much, getting into something that he shouldn't be in. It can also mean steep hilly, and rough ground, rocky, hilly, rough ground. And then finally, it also means insidious, deceitful, cunning. And of course, that's how we know Jacob. That's how we know him. It says in verse 6, So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game, and make me my savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go to the flock and bring me from there two choice 
kids of the goat, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. And then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine a behavior any more deceitful between a son and his father? And not only that, between a wife and her husband. You know, I know sometimes that mothers kind of intervene for their children, you know, from the mean old grumpy dad. I'm going to save this kid's life right now and carry him away. Happened to me a few times. Not that I deserved anything that was coming to me. But this level of deceit, it's incredible. You know, and we've read this story so often now, it just, well, yeah, that's what happened. But if you really think about it, I mean, some of us have probably, maybe all of us, have maybe lied to our parents. Did you just say what I thought you said? No. You know, we've, we've lied out of that shame or that embarrassment. Haven't, hopefully, engaged in this kind of deceive our father. And it's interesting, Jacob has objections, doesn't he? He has objections. He says, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm smooth-skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I, I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself, and not a blessing. His objection was, I might get caught. Not that this is wrong. Not that we shouldn't do this. Mommy, you gone a little loopy here? What, what are you doing? Right? I might get caught. But his mother persisted. She said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Yeah, because that's how it works, right? Let your curse be on me. Obey my voice and go and, let, <coughs> and get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So is this okay? Is this all right for him to do? I mean, after all, you know, the prophecy at his birth, right, said that he was going to rule over his brother, that he was going to be first, that the youngest would be ruling over the oldest. So he, he's just bringing about what God had already had in mind. Right? It was through Jacob that he was going to make this great company of nations. But what would it have looked like if Jacob had rejected this temptation? What would it have looked like if he'd stood up to his mother and said, no, we're not going to do this. This is not the way 
but God would want us to do this. I'm not going to take for myself what God is going to give to me of himself. What if he did that? What if he said something like the passage that we find in Psalm chapter 17, verse 1? Hear a just cause, O Lord, and attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your path, that my footsteps may not slip. Remember, footsteps is one of the other translations for the root word, Jacob. Footsteps. Footprints on rough or hilly ground on this, this path of righteousness. See, Jacob did not have to be deceitful. He did not have to use intrigue and, and wickedness to get the blessing that, that God had in store for him. He could have been the one who was known by the other meaning of his name. Jacob, he's the one that stood firm in the path of righteousness, whom God held up in his footsteps on the mountaintop. He said, I have called you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against him. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me from the deadly enemies who surround What an amazing story it would have been if Jacob had chosen a different path. If he had trusted God and allowed him to work out his, his own plan, God's own plan in him, the younger brother carrying the blessings of the father and of the father's father, I know the story would have been better, but it's not what we've got. It would have been a great story of faith and obedience, but it's not what happened. And once again, this family tradition, which he came by it honestly, right? He came by his deceitfulness, honestly. But Abraham himself was guilty of the same thing. Oh, okay, uh, God's going to bless me. I'm going to have a son. All right, Ishmael is it. And I'm going to take this into my, my own hands. And so, like grandfather, like grandson. So is it ever okay to do something deceitful, wrong, wicked, in order to bring about something good? Jacob's story would say no. 
Picking it back up in Genesis chapter 27, verse 18. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you? Who are you, my son? Who are you? And I'm sure, you know, maybe to a certain extent, Esau and Jacob would have sounded similar. They're brothers, right? Same dialect and, and maybe sounded similar. You know, I remember as my voice broke, people would start to, they would call the house and start having a conversation with me like I was my dad. I sounded like him. But there's a difference, isn't there? And eventually, you know, started to wonder, well, who is this? So Isaac asked, who are you? Who are you, my son? Of course, that's a larger question. Even now, Jacob had a chance to stop this. He had a chance to say, you know what? This is a bad idea. I'm not going to go through with this. He had many opportunities to come out of this deceit and not follow this evil. Who are you, Jacob? Who are you really? Is this who you are? We could ask that question of ourselves. Maybe God is asking that question of us in our life now, like with Jacob. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my gain, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Wow. Now that's a whopper. That is a whopper. Telling a lie and using God to do it. Claiming God and, and, and <laughs> is helping him in this lie. God brought it to me. The last, line, last time we looked, one of God's names was not Rebecca. She brought it to him. Total deception. Total lack of respect for his father. I'm just going to fool this old man. I'm just going to fool him. I'm just going to trick him. He's too broken down. His eyes are too faded. He won't. You know, it's interesting. I was listening last night to a, um, a presentation. Uh, maybe you've heard of these guys. Uh, Ravi Zacharias. You guys heard of him? He's a really, really, really interesting and very capable uh, public speaker and apologist. And he was uh, also with uh, Dennis Prager. You guys heard of Dennis Prager? And he's a Jew. Uh, I guess he's a Jewish uh, apologist. <laughs> Um, but he's, he's very, very interesting. And, you know, he pulled out a, an interesting point about taking the name of God in vain. We know that commandment, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And he, he was having fun with it. He was saying, you know, well, people 
say, oh my, DOD, and, and so on and so forth. And he's like, is that really what it's about? Is that really the worst thing that you could do with God's name? Or is it something else? And he said, go look at the Hebrew. You look at the Hebrew, the word isn't take. It's carry. Do not carry the name of God in vain. And that has a whole different meaning, doesn't it? It it really starts to govern more than just what we say with our mouth. How hard is it to not use profanity with God's name? How hard is that? I mean, you know, maybe if you have a habit of it, it might take you a little while, but you can do that. What's harder is not living a sinful life while saying, I'm a Christian. I have the name of God on me not doing deceitful things like Jacob in the name of God. And it was interesting that Prager said that one of the biggest advertisements for for believing that there is no God for the atheist worldview is Christians that do evil things in God's name. A powerful point. And that's what Jacob was doing. He was doing that, invoking God's name. He, uh, yeah, God blessed me and brought me this. So Isaac said to Jacob, (coughs) please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to, to Isaac, his father, And he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy hairy like the brother, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? Are you really? Who are you? Who are you exactly? He said, I am. So he said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. Final test. Let me get real close. And he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of his clothing, blessed him, and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those. So the deed was done. Done. And you know, what's really interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but earlier in the passage, uh, Isaac is saying, I'm going to bless you in the presence of God. 
that this is a very formal thing before God. And in spite of all this deceit, in spite of all that went on, it, it still affected. It still had an effect. It was still allowed. In fact, it was still honored. That's a little confusing. Why would God do this? So the deed was done. Instead of having faith in God, instead of allowing God to work out his, his plan, Jacob took what God wanted to give. He took it by lying, by disrespecting his father, his brother. He obtained the blessing of his father through And incredibly, Jacob then gets something else. He gets grace. Because that's the only reason that the story of Jacob continues, isn't it? Because it could have just stopped right there. This, you know, you and I look at that story and we're like, well, if I was God, I wouldn't have let him have all of that good stuff. I wouldn't have allowed that blessing to come on him. What kind of behavior is that? Can't reward that kind of behavior. Man, aren't you glad God's not like us? Because how many times have we done similar things? How many times have we deceived not only others, but ourselves? So, the only thing that I can understand in this situation, that this was allowed, is that God gave Jacob grace. So later we read that Jacob has to leave his family. He has to escape his brother. There's consequences. His brother has said, after the days of mourning are over, after dad dies, I'm going to kill him. He's a dad man. And I imagine, had he been able to get a hold of him right then and there, it would have happened. And we would have had a different line leading to the children of Israel, wouldn't we? So in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, we meet up with Jacob again. <coughs> now Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went to Ord Haran. He's on the run. You know, he's a wanted man. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it at his head. And he laid down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the the God of Isaac, the land which you lie, on the land in which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it's interesting. We know that scripture. We know what that's looking forward to. That's Jesus, the Messiah, blessing the entire world. And it comes 
out of this deceitful little man. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you <coughs> until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put at his head and set up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city that had been there was previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me, in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I will come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all, <coughs> and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And so he's making some oaths here. He's making some reciprocal promises to what God has, has blessed him with and, and, and given him. And again, we find God blessing this good-for-nothing liar. Why? Why is it that God persisted with this man? In fact, with this entire family. Why did he persist with these people? Why does he persist with us? Why does he persist? Why does he keep coming back to each one of us when we have strayed from the path that he called us to, in spite of the blessings that he has promised to us, that we know we still stray from that path. We still sin. We still walk away. We're still deceitful. Why does God persist with us? Jacob was the youngest. He was physically weaker than his brother. He was clearly a flawed man. And with a very faulty moral compass, wasn't he? Perhaps he was the perfect candidate. Perhaps he really was the perfect candidate for God to work out his plan of salvation, for God to work out the blessings that he was going to give to Israel. Because we can be assured of, by the character and the nature of this man, that it was not his own doing that brought about the nation of Israel that came from him. It was not his own doing that brought about all the blessings that those people had. Maybe it's another ver version of God picking the weakest, the smallest, the least qualified, and raising them up and working with them patiently, graciously working with them and building them into something else. If 
Perhaps another reason was also that God keeps his promises. He had promised, right? He had promised Abraham. He had sworn by himself because there is no one higher. He made a promise. He said he's going to make Abraham as numerous as the sea, stand by the seashore. And then again, he's promised to Jacob as the dust of the earth as numerous. Maybe he was just stuck with Jacob because of the promise. Well, got to work this through now. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like God is that stubborn with his promises to us? I do. There is, of course, another reason. God is gracious and faithful, even when we are not. He gives each and every one of us grace. The psalmist in Psalm 103 says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He, makes, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, he will not always strive with us. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Each one of us knows that. Each one of us personally should recognize that, that he has not dealt with us according to our sins just as he did not deal with Jacob according to his sin. He is gracious. He is mercy, merciful. He says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. It doesn't say towards those who walk perfectly, does it? It just says those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And he had to have remembered this on a daily basis dealing with the, the people of Israel, with the offspring of Jacob, because they're a mess because they're like us. They're human beings. And we are a mess. And he remembers that we are dust. But it's also interesting that in verse 9, there's another, there's another point here. He says, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And it's interesting for two reasons. 
because firstly, he will not always strive with us, must mean that at times he does strive with us and that we strive with him. It takes two to tango, doesn't it? That we strive with him, we, we struggle with him. We have to deal with him. That doesn't sound nice at all, <laughs> to strive with God, to struggle with God. And you know, there's, there's two conditions, perhaps, when we are not going to be striving with God. One is, he has perfected us, and we're done. We're complete. Who's there yet? The other is a little scary. Because then he's not striving with us at all anymore. Not because we're perfect and done. Because we are so far removed and so far away from him. There isn't even any contact. There isn't even any opportunity to clash. We don't want to find ourselves that position. But you know, I'm not talking about a war. I'm not talking about just open warfare with God and rebelling against him. That's not what this means. It's a struggle. It's not a pitched battle. It's a struggle. The kind of striving that a father and a son might have, especially as that son is getting a little older and he's starting to figure out his way in the world and his place in the world and there's, there's some conflict and there's some struggling and maybe even a daughter and a mother any parent and any child it's like that and there is a, naturally a time when we are striving and struggling with God for a purpose because it says as a loving father it says, as we just read earlier, that he is like a loving father toward us. And he sees the incredible potential that each one of us has. But he's just got to remove some junk that's kind of got stuck to us. He's got to clean us off. Take away those flawed, sinful parts to reveal that jewel. That priceless jewel that he bought the field So do you ever feel like you're struggling with God? Do you ever feel like you're just, you're going one direction and, and he's pushing another direction? That maybe he's not, why is he not blessing me right now? Why am I struggling? Why, why is things so hard? Do you ever feel like that? If so, it's normal. Because it's easy for us to, to feel like that and then say, God's got it in for me. I'm doing something wrong. I'm such a terrible person. No. He's struggling so that he can shape us. He's coming against us to redirect us because he cares for us. We will struggle with him. And so it was with Jacob. 
fact, Jacob had to learn lots of lessons. He had to learn what it was like to be deceived himself. He had to learn what it was like to live with, with liars and cheats just like himself. He had to learn how to run away with his family so they could get away from, from the control that his uncle put upon him. Otherwise, he might not have ever been allowed to leave. He had to secretly run off with his own family. He had a lot of struggles. And in each, every step of that story, you see that struggle and the struggle with his own nature. He was still trying to use his own imagination and his own cunning. Remember all the things he did, throwing the, the branches in the water to make the, the animals of a certain coat type. He's using this noggin, smart guy. Again, instead of just trusting God, he was struggling against God instead of just allowing God to bless him. Who was he? Who was Jacob, really? Because he was a strange mixture of deceitfulness and faith, of trusting God and, and accepting the promises, but then having to engineer the outcome himself. Who was he? He was certainly in a struggle. But then he comes to a moment that he can't control. And he tries to, but in the end, he's forced to come to this moment, and he has to do something that he's probably never fully done before. He has to stand on faith alone. And it starts with a struggle. It starts in Genesis 32 and 22. And he, Jacob, <coughs> arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and then sent over what he had. And Jacob was left alone. And then this guy comes out of nowhere. This man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. All night long. This wrestling match. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was point out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? Who are you? Who are you really? What do you stand for? What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name. Who are you? I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And I take that to mean, you know who I am. Why are you asking my name? You know who I am. 
and he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen Elohim. I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And he limped around for the rest of his life. Permanent reminder of who was he really. What is your name? Who are you? And he struggled with God. He actually struggled with God. And God struggled with him. And I think in many ways, this was a kind of a single event that reflected the entire life of Jacob, that he was always struggling with God. And in fact, it was a perfect name for the people that would be born from him, because they always struggled with God. They were stubborn and stiff-necked, and they were always fighting against him and the way that he was trying to lead them. And just like with Jacob, God was merciful and patient and poured out blessings on them anyway. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds familiar to me. He struggled with God. But God poured out his blessings. And I really do think, though, at this moment, something changed in Jacob. On that night, through that experience. And the reason I think that is for two reasons. And the first is what we see that happens after this. In chapter 33 and verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. No women. No children, men. And that normally means trouble when 400 men come, you know, come over the hilltop. So he divided the children amongst Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and the children in front. Yeah, way to go, man. Look after your family there, why don't you? Leah and their children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. <coughs> and then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. Okay. He crossed over before them. Interesting. Maybe we're seeing a change in Jacob. Maybe we're seeing a change in this man. Who is he now? Is he Jacob anymore? Or is he Israel? until he came near to his brother. So now the moment of truth, right? This is the moment of truth because there is nothing that Jacob can do. He's done all the things he thought of. He sent gifts ahead of time with, with all kinds of goodies, trying to bribe his brother to be nice. It's the moment of truth. In the end, he just had to stand before his brother. And trust God. You have to trust all those promises. Because right here, right now, Esau could just come and cut him down. Well, that's the end of him. That's the end of this story. 
but he trusted and had faith that God was going to make him a great people, that he was going to intervene and save Jacob and his family. Because if Esau was determined to kill him, just to cut him down, there was nothing he could have done. But who is he now? Who is this man now? He's finally turning into the man that God wants him to be. He's not Jacob the deceiver anymore, or the manipulator. He's a different individual. He's the one now that walks in the footsteps of faith. Albeit with a limp, but he was now walking in the footsteps of faith. Clearly he had become Israel, the man who overcomes, overcomes his nature, overcomes with God, instead of struggling and striving against God. Instead of cutting him down, instead of running him through with a sword, he runs to meet him. Esau runs to meet him and embraces him and falls on his neck, kisses him, and they wept. What a scene. No, we don't do that anymore, those guys. You know, certainly not in front of the men. Can you imagine this emotion? They hadn't seen each other in years and years. And the last time that they were together, one was going to kill the other. They wept together. And he, Esau, lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are all these? What is going on here? This is amazing. Who are these? And he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the maidservants came near, and their children, they bowed down, and, and Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. And then Esau said, what do you mean by all the company which I met? What do you mean by all those gifts that you gave me, and all the goodies you sent ahead? And Jacob said, Israel said, these ought to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, I've got enough. These are remarkable changes, not just in Jacob, but in both of them. Because before, they're competing for the blessings and the birthright. And they're willing to kill one another almost. Certainly one is willing to kill and the other is willing, willing to deceive. And yet now they're saying, no, 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 I have enough. You have it. The one that received the blessing. Remember the blessing? It said that your brother will bow to you. No, he bows to his brother. An amazing transformation. Jacob said, no, please, I have, if I've now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God. That is an amazing thing for somebody to finally come to the place where they see others 
in the same way as they see God. And that's one of the commandments, is it not? In fact, that's the one of the two that Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, right? And your neighbor as yourself. Please take my blessing that is brought to you. <coughs> Excuse me. Because God has dwelt graciously with me. And because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. So now Jacob, the one that's the deceiver and stealing and, and taking things by lies is saying, I have, I have enough. He's a changed person. Who is this man? This humble, conciliatory, faithful man this Jacob? No. It's Israel. Standing with God as his only defense. Restoring, at least in symbol, restoring some of what he took. He stole the birthright. He stole the blessing. And what was he doing now? He was, at least in symbol, giving back. Trying to make an amends for what he had done. I have enough. Please take it. I have enough. And he healed. Both of them healed this rift. This terrible rift that should not exist between brothers. You know, in many ways we might think, well, Jacob is not the best example for us in the Word of God. I'm not going to pick Jacob to mirror my <laughs> Christian walk after. But yet, He's really just like us. We really can find things in Jacob that we can find in ourselves. And certainly the narrative and the story of Jacob's children and the children of Israel, well, they pull out every facet of the, the worst kind of human behavior possible. God gave him something really precious and rare though incredibly rare and so maybe it might not be such a bad individual to to think about and incorporate into our understanding of our own Christian war because there was an incredible transformation in this man the kind of transformation that each and every one of us wants to have and then he did something that had never been done before, ever. He gave him a new name. He gave him a new name. It wasn't just a name. It wasn't just, hey, this sounds better. This is cooler than Jacob, Israel. It's got a certain tone to it, nice ring. Because it wasn't so he could have this the children of Israel later, they could have been called the children of Jacob. Israel. Part of its word, part of its, the elements of this word are derived from the name of God himself. This had not been done before. God gave him a new name, not just so we could just refer to, to the nation. He gave him a new name 
so that it would include God's own name. I wonder, when he discovered that, that chap in the night, that man that he started to wrestle with, what if he didn't stay a hold of that person? What if he didn't clasp on to that person? What if he didn't struggle quite so much? What if he just let go and he, he took that karate blow to his hip? What would have happened? Would he have been given this name? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. What about us? Who are we? Who are we? When we are struggling with God, are we holding on tight and not letting him go? Are we struggling but not giving up? Are we wrestling with him? You know, wrestling, I know Curtis did wrestling. He could probably tell us. involves a lot of, you know, close personal contact with the person you're wrestling with. Probably, uh, you know, sweat and not your own in the face. And two men wrestling out in the, in the, the street or in the dirt. Well, blood and who knows what else. Not letting go. Just holding on. Are we doing that? In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Now, I know I'm taking this a little bit out of context, but I think it works. I think it makes sense. What do we have to hold on to? What do we have to hold fast to? Each other? Oh, we should do that, sure. But I'm pretty flimsy. So are you. You're not going to save me, and I'm not going to save you. So what is it that we should hold fast to? It's only one person we can hold fast to. Stubbornly hold fast to. One of the Elohim. In fact, the same one that wrestled with Jacob is the one that we need hold fast to. We know him as Jesus Christ. Everything else falls away. We have to hold on to him. Hold fast, he said, what you have, that no one will take your crown. Why? Because he who overcomes, wait, overcomes, overcomes what? Overcomes struggle. Right? He who overcomes the struggle the struggle of this life, the struggle of our own nature, the struggle of dealing with God as he buffets us and shapes us and forces us to conform to what he knows we can become. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. You know, when Jacob did what he did, he had to go out. He had to go away. He had to be cut off from his family, from his from his brother. We will go out no more. 
we will be cut off from God no more. If we hold fast, if we overcome, he will make us a pillar in his temple. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. If we engage in the struggle, if we hold fast, if we are persistent and we will not give up, we will not leave go until he blesses us, then we will be given a new name. So, who are you? Are you Jacob? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it was Jacob that held on. It's interesting, isn't it? It was the sinful, weak Jacob that would not leave go. But now, are you Israel? Are you the one that has the name of God on you? Are you the one who overcomes? is called by God's new name. Who are you?